Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. So I want to just correct one thing. The Tucker's is not today. It's April 3rd. So don't go to the Tucker's house. There'll be no food there today. Well, unless, you know, (laughs) unless they tell you to go there. So praise the Lord. Um, Also on... um, We're going to have an awesome time in the tent. We spent uh, some time this week, several, putting the tent together, jackhammering, getting all the stuff put back together there. And so I'm really getting excited. So would you be praying about this whole uh, holy time, this holy week of Palm Sunday, Passover? We had Purim this week, and it was just amazing. Wednesday, uh, Friday night was God night, and there was some amazing words that were given out even to our own body here Friday night that was just, even my own, like, sheesh. Hallelujah, I love it. And so um, that whole week, I've been praying and asking the Lord, when should we go ahead and fast? There was a time when Pastor Edward Atwa, who came up from uh, Florida to be here during the tent, he was one of the speakers. He's uh, from Cameroon, Africa, been in, in the United States, has a church there. And afterwards, he, you know, he drove up even for uh, Neil's memorial service, and he said, Pastor, let me know when you're going to pray and fast for three days. I'll get my whole church in Florida to join you, that God, because the mantle of revival is here. I said, oh, okay. So I've been praying, Lord, I don't want to be presumptuous. What is it? But I'm sensing that uh, the, the Thursday, sometimes they call it Monday, Thursday, but that Thursday and then Good Friday, so from Thursday noontime until Resurrection Sunday noontime, I'm going to ask if those who would like to join in a fasting and prayer, you ask the Lord what that fast looks like for you. I realize some can't do a lot of physical fast, but you can do something. Um, media, n- negativity. You ever fast negativity? Yes. Yeah, I tried that. I didn't even get to the parking lot, and it was like, <laughs> Lord, I got to repent for that one. You know? So would you join us that Thursday? We'll have more information. My staff doesn't even know that. I got that this morning, so we'll be uh, praying about that. And then... Jessie Green will be here Resurrection Sunday. She's going to bring her team, and uh, she said you better fire up all the baptismal tanks. So if you've not been water baptized or you feel like you need another one, um, come, come prepared for that. And then we'll break our fast right after that and go have a Resurrection Sunday lunch or something, right? Praise God. And then we'll have that dish to pass on Palm Sunday here as well. So just uh, prepare your heart for what's coming. Hallelujah. All right. Let me, um, I want to ask you to finish a verse that Jesus, actually two verses Jesus spoke. The first one is, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. John's 15, 15, right? I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. How about this one, finish this one. No greater love than this, that one would lay down one's life for one's Friends, it's actually, look at the translation, but if you, you look at it, so we, we see that friendship, that whole scripture, that was also in John 15, 13. It's another one of those love chapters. It's the same chapter where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you don't stay connected to me, you can't prosper, right? But those, so then he goes on, he talks about this love relationship. So there's something about the friendship with God where after about three years of walking with the disciples, Jesus then says, at that point, you know, they had thrown down their fishing business, gave up their tax collecting, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So about three years into it, because just soon after this discussion in John 15, Jesus is about to go, has the Father's prayer in John 17, and then it's into the garden, and then it's crucifixion. And so it's at that moment he says, you've been serving me, but now I see friendship. But he also precurses that, if you look at John 10, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, remember that John 10, 10, he says, I've come, it's the job description of both the son of God and also the devil. His job description, I've come to give you life in all of its fullness. The devil's come to give you junk, right? Death, destruction, he's a stealer, he's gonna kill you. So it's then right after that he says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hireling, when trouble comes, 
he jumps over the wall and leaves. Forget the sheep, I'm out of here, right? So I want us to look at this theme. I, I, I might have shared a few weeks back, maybe a month back. It was one of the last nights in the tent. We'd been there, what, 41 nights, something, and, and Jesse Green had come. And that morning, I was reading this scripture. I said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And I was meditating on that, and I said, you know, Lord, I haven't always been a good friend. Maybe I've served, but I haven't always been a good friend, and I want to be the friend. And I was meditating on that, I was convicted, and that night, um, I think Jesse and Neil, and we all, it was like 70 baptisms. It was one of those amazing nights, right? And at the end of the night, everybody had pretty much left. There was only a few left in the tent, and I had this conviction. I said, Lord, I want to be baptized. I want to ask Jesse to baptize me because I need to wash away all this stuff that doesn't make me a friend of the Lord. And I looked at the water, and it looked like 30 people had had a bathtub in that water, and I'm like, I've never taken a bath with 30 people, and I'm the last one in. So I'm just being transparent. It's like, and I'm thinking this scuzzy water, man, I hope, you know. And, but then the Holy Spirit, so, so you're going to let some dirty water get in the way of our friendship. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, talk the talk or do the job, right? And it's like, Jesse, come here. Would you baptize me? I had this desire today. I was reading that scripture to be a friend of God. She goes, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I did a blog this morning on that very thing. And she baptized me. And it was like, and since that time, I just, just want to be, I've, there's a spirit change. There's a, there's a soul realm shift. There's a desire of the heart. I, you know, when you go deeper in those places of surrender. And, and so I just offer, there's something about friendships that they'll lay, there's no greater love than this. And Jesus modeled it. He modeled it. I died for you. What greater love can I give you? <laughs> And so when we start packing this together and we recognize this, I want to share some concepts. We've been looking at this scripture for about three or four weeks maybe now in Kingdom Men, and it's been just I mean, wonderful. Last, even last Monday night, whew, I went home like really stirred up in a good way. We've been looking at Daniel Christian who, he, he just said, let's look at this 1 Corinthians 16 because it's really, verse 13 to 14 is really a mandate of kingdom living, and we've been saying, if you're a kingdom man, you ought to follow Paul's mandates here. So if you want to turn with it, you can look at the first top of your handout, your outline there, I've got it laid out. The Apostle Paul finishes 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 Corinthians um, book in chapter 16, and he says this. This is Paul's mandates. These are not like suggestions. It's a spiritual father who planted this church who is the most messed up church of all the churches in the scriptures. Look at it. I mean, it is, it, they're a church that is like, they really, but it's really good because I think I've dealt with, I, as I read through this, um, all 16 chapters, I think I've dealt with all of these issues in the churches that I've been part of, pastored, and, and it's like, yeah, it's nothing different, nothing new under the sun, right? Ecclesiastes tells us. The apostle Paul says this, final instructions. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. But you gotta look at the 16 chapters before that got them to this place. And we're just gonna, we're not gonna read all 16, you can relax, we'll, but we're gonna hit, hit some mandates. But I wanna, this is a concept that came out this week that I've really meditated on a bunch this week, and I, I think it's really powerful. Um, if you look at the bottom of your handout, it's really how critical, see number one there on biblical examples, right on that says, how critical is your core belief and your revealed identity in following those mandates? What do you really, what do you really believe? Is it lip service? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far, far from me, he warned. And then what is that identity? And we've been, boy, we've hit it for 11 weeks with belief. Kingdom identity, the blueprint for kingdom identity. Do you operate as an orphan? Do you operate as one who's been abandoned? Are you in chair number one, two, or three, hopefully? <laughs> You're in 
chair number one or two, but preferably one, we've been having this language discussion about the baptism of love and identity. It's been really good, but let me, let me try to unpack this and bring it down to um, an understanding. If you think about the concept of whether you believe something in your heart or it's just a learned responsibility. Let me unpack this. One of our military guys was sharing this Monday night, and I can relate to this. When, when I was on the submarine, and we were doing training as well at the prototype site to train guys to go to war in submarine warfare, the, you learn a practice. So if you go to battle stations, you got somebody who's gonna get on the con, they're gonna come into communication, you got a weapons off, everybody has their responsibility. Think of a SEAL team, right? SEAL team, you got, you got the comm guy who knows how to communicate. You got the heavy weapons guy who can lay down heavy weapon fire. You got someone who is also a medic. Each one has a responsibility. Train, 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 train. And then when that happens, you go almost by rote. Um, my police officer, uh, friends and also some police officer family member, you train almost in a muscle reflex when, you, when you're practicing with firearm. You get to a place where you, you become so muscle reflexed in the operation of it, it's almost passes your brain, you just act, boom, right? You gotta get on target with, three, with two shots in three seconds, even from here. And it's training, trains all learned responses, but not necessarily heart response. It's a big, big difference. Give an example, um, I'll give you two. One that I was personally aware of, there was a woman I know that was uh, in her last trimester of pregnancy and her little toddler, and this particular woman had an experience in her past as a child where she got attacked by a dog, actually had scar where the dog bit her, so there was like this concern about dogs, right? Well, her little toddler, climbs over a fence and there's a large dog inside this fence and it jumps on the child. This woman in her last trimester of pregnancy, over the fence she goes and confronts the dog to get the child away. She didn't even think about it. It's like that level of fear was subservient to the love of God that was in her heart for her child. There's a difference between a learned response like, man, I don't know if I'm going in there with that dog there, that's my child, you don't get between me and my child. And there's, you don't even have to think about it, right? And so there's a difference there between a learned responsibility, because the discussion in men's group, I know it says what we speak in men's group stays in men's group, but I'm just gonna share something here, but <laughs> a little bit, um, where there's this place where if integrity and honesty is not grounded in the heart, you can be a great warrior and you can respond, but if your integrity and your honor is not there, you will do things that are ungodly and unholy, right? And so there's a difference between what's in the heart and what's not. Here's another example. Um, you know, my you, I've shared with you, my, you know, my dad was a warrior in Korea, came back from Korea with, I believe, PTSD and medicated that, praise the Lord, he did get free eventually from all that. But I'm named after his, one of his best friends, Tom McVeigh, who was killed in action there in Korea. And so I was, he, he told me this story, I was looking for it online, I couldn't, but this is what I recall from the, the, the understanding of, do you really believe what you say or is it just lip service? What's in your heart? Because my dad was a great leader and he taught me things about leadership. It, you know, he taught me other things that we've forgiven him for, but we, but, but there were things there that he taught me, and this was one, and he shared this, I believe, this example. You know, during the, uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know this, did you realize that the Russians and the Chinese, I knew about the Chinese were in conflict with us in Korea. 56,000 men and women in the United States died in that military, what do they call police action. This still isn't even solved today, right? We got, I have a, grand, a grandson, a grandchild that's already serving there in South Korea as we speak right now. And so, in October 19th, 1950, the Chinese communists crossed the Yalu River and joined in the warfare against the United States along with the Russians. So we wonder about this pairing up that's going on right now between Russia and China, it's not new. And so, when, when they crossed the Yalu River, at that point, the conflict had occurred. In fact, there's estimates that over 920,000 Chinese were killed 
in that conflict, and over almost a half a million Koreans were killed, along with 50, so that that's police action was quite a, quite a mess. Well, what's the point? Well, we knew that uh, the communists were trying to, obviously, take, take over, and they had taken over after World War II. You had Stalin and all of it took over in Europe, and then you had the Chinese. So they crossed over, there was a church service going on on the other side of the parallel. And during this church service, as the Chinese came, the communist Chinese came off, they entered, just think about it this, at some point, what if 100 armed people came in this building, and they said, we're here, we're gonna convert all of you to be good communists. And there is no communist with faith in God. Right, that's, that's what they say. In fact, what was it, Karl Marx that said, religion is the opium of the masses, right? You don't need that. It's only the weak need Christianity. Well, so they said, we're gonna prove it to you. And there was a picture of Christ on the wall. They came in the church, picture of Christ on the wall. They pulled the picture off the wall, and they set it right here. And they said, now we'll have the pastor and the senior elder come up. All of you line up right here. You're gonna go one by one, and you're gonna spit on this picture and renounce Christ, or you'll be executed. The pastor went and he spit on the picture. The elder came and spit on the picture. The 12-year-old girl came, knelt down, took her dress and wiped the spittle off the picture and then knelt down in front of the guy with a submachine gun and said, I'll never do that. Now they got a dilemma. So they said, you know what? The only really true communist that'll be here is this girl. So they took the pastor and the elder out and they executed them. There's something about belief in your heart versus what you say. Now we know, we don't know how you're gonna react when this happens. We even know that Peter, Peter was a believer, but he denied him three times, even though in that moment, they may deny you, Lord, but I'll never deny you, and had the sword, right, cuts off Malchus's ear, and. Jesus put up the sword, heals the servant, and then Peter runs and denies three times. He goes back to fishing. He actually quits his ministry and goes back fishing. But then after the resurrection, Jesus finds him, jumps in the water, cooks a meal. And Peter, recognizing who he is, he asks them, Peter, do you love me? See, lovers are good friends, and they lay down their lives. 30 years later, he's martyred for Christ. Prophetic word that says, Peter, one day they're gonna take you. When you were young, you went where you wanted, but Jesus tells them when you're old, they're gonna take you and they're gonna stretch you out. We know that he was crucified upside down and refused to be, he honored the Lord so much, how could I be crucified the same way as my Lord? And that, that was the same day, history tells us that Peter was beheaded. So there's something about this faith in Christ and the words in Christ and the love of Christ and the friendship of Christ that he's calling us all to a higher place. The question is, what's in your heart? Uh, Is it gonna be such a, there's no way, it's so ingrained in me, it's like the, the mama who, by the way, that woman was my wife. So there's something about the mama's heart that says, I will never allow you to hurt my children. I'll stand between you and the darkness. You can't do that, even if it costs me. And so, when you look at your handout at the top there, what brought Paul, the apostle, to this point? Why did God choose him? What do we know? What do you know about Saul of Tarsus? Give me some things that you know about him. He was a tent maker. Persecuted Christians, he was really good at that, right? He was a murderer. Not only did, in fact, he gets met in Damascus, right? So he's a persecutor of the church. He's the, he kills Stephen. In fact, they, th- they honor him at the place where Stephen is martyred, the first martyr in the book of Acts. But what else do we know about him? A Pharisee. So he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In fact, he was trained by G- Gamaliel, I think is how you say it, one of the sages of that time. So the, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees, the other sect, did not. 
Well, we say that's why they were sad, you see, right? If you don't believe in the resurrection, what do you believe? I mean, let's, you know, come on. So, but, so Paul was a Pharisee. He was trained. He was, he was in the Torah. He was in that. He was well-equipped. You have something else? What, who else? What else did Saul of Tarsus? Okay, he was, so he was well-known. He was a Roman citizen as well. Remember, that's when, they, when they, at one point they, I'm a Roman citizen, I can appeal to Rome. See how God sets everything up? He wanted Caesars to hear about this, right? So God sets everything up. And so when you're in your life and you're wondering, man, I'm, sometimes he was doing what he thought was right in his own heart, committing evil, thinking it's good. But can you imagine what happens to him when he, he's done that? He's just killed Stephen. Now he's given permission by the, by the religious guard to go and lock up Christians, heads up to Syria, to Damascus, to lock up additional Christians. And then he meets the resurrected Christ. Now, I, I don't, yeah, we read it out there, yeah, that's really, that's a good story there. No, Acts chapter 9, you need to put yourself in it. He's on his way. He's just committed the murder. He's got the agreement. He's got the paperwork to lock up Christians, and he's on his way to do it. And he's thinking, man, I am it. I am as zealous as they got. I'm doing that God's work. We're going to shut down the way, the people of the way. They're going to be punished. And he meets the resurrected Christ. And if you read Acts 9, it's like, Let's turn there for a minute. This is, I wasn't going to go there, but let's just turn there. It really got me excited this week when I was reading it. In Acts 9, I just, some of the language is just so cool. So he meets the resurrected Christ, and the first thing Jesus says to him, he's knocked to the ground. So he's, just think about that. You're walking, you think you're all this, you got an entourage, and I got the paperwork, and boom, you're knocked to the ground. And you're instantly blinded and you hear a word. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You touch God's kids, you persecute Jesus. I like that. Talk about a love relationship, lady. You better not mess with my kids. Devil, right? So he's knocked to the ground and he hears that voice. Why? And what's going through Saul's mind at that time? It's like, oh, you're real. <laughs> you're alive. Huh. He's instantly blinded, and look at the verse here. Pick up Acts 9, verse 8. Saul picks himself off the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions lead him by hand. So here's this rough, tough dude come to lock up, and now he's blinded, being led. And where is he led to? I, I like this. He goes to Damascus. He remains there three days, and he doesn't eat or drink. Blind? And he's in, he, I don't know if he thinks I'm dead, I'm toast. What, what's the sense of eating right now? I can't eat, I'm so upset, I have no idea. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street. I love this. Paul is at Straight Street. Where is he? In the house of Judas. You get the picture? He's in the Judas house because he's a Judas, and he needs to go straight, and I need to send somebody that's gonna get him straightened out and get him out of Judas' house. I gotta open his eyes. I was like, Lord, you're, that's really cute. I never saw that before. It's like, wow. And he lays hands on him, and when he lays hands on him, the scales fall off, and he's baptized in the Holy Ghost, and then he's given his message. You're gonna suffer a lot for me. He says that in verse 16, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Because we know he did. And ultimately, he gave his life to be beheaded. I will not deny my Christ. So when we look at, look at the top of your hand out there, it's like when Paul gives these five mandates, guard and watch. I've listed some scriptures here. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 42 there. See that number one? Watch out. Be on guard. Keep your eyes open. Do not be caught unaware. Chapter 25 of that, same with the 10 virgin. He says, you better be awake. Stay awake. Keep the oil in your lamp. Don't you become like the five foolish ones who let their oil go out. Are you burning bright right now? That's the question. How's your oil doing? 
The Holy Ghost is the oil that we need, the fire of God, we all have to have it. And he, he gives this instruction because he also warns it can fall away. If your lifestyle gets off track, you can fall away. Then he says in number two, stand fast in faith. Philippians one, stand fast in your faith. Four one, same thing, be strong in the Lord. Be brave, be brave. How many times does he tell us in Joshua? Three times, right? Joshua chapter one, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Why did he tell them three times? Because he's gonna need to be strong and very courageous because I'm gonna send you right now to Jericho <laughs> when you cross over and you're gonna be Jericho and you're gonna have to do some really wild things in Jericho. You're gonna tell this group, run around here seven times, blow horns and watch what I do. But then you're also gonna go to Ai, and you're gonna lose Israelis because there's sin in the camp. When you look at the times when Joshua hit his face complaining to God was after Ai, Judges chapter seven. They violated and took some of the spoil. They took the spoil from Jericho and hid it in the tent. And God said, we don't need to send, I mean, Joshua said, we don't need to send the whole army against Ai. So he sends a small group, and I think it's 36 Israelis, innocent Israelis lose their life because there's sin in the camp. Now think about that in the context of a church. When sin is allowed in the camp, there can be loss of innocence. That's why you gotta be brutal sometimes with sin in the camp. A little leaven will mess up the whole place. You wink at sin and dumb it down, guess what? Bring it into your family. You open the doors to sin in your family. Right, he's come to kill, steal. You give him authorization to steal, kill, and destroy it. And then we wonder why. So Joshua hits the ground. God, I thought you told us we were going to. He says, get up off your face. There's sin in your camp. Deal with that. And then march on and do what I told you to do in that identity. And so this is what he's telling us. You're going to have to be really brave and courageous, Joshua. Be strong, Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord's might. Listed some things there in Isaiah as well. But do it all in love. So we know from 1 Corinthians 13, remember a few weeks ago I, I told you I, I failed the love test, the agape test, right? I wasn't nice to my wife. And I should, and you know, I, I wasn't. So love is patient, kind, keeps no record of wrong, right? Isn't prideful, arrogant, boastful, right? Can I get a witness here? Does anybody need more of that? I mean, am I the only one? Help me, Jesus. I know I'm with saints, but you know, wow. So, so there's this, he tells us to be, at the end of this chapter, three chapters later, verse in chapter 16, he tells us, but do it all. If you're gonna be strong and you're gonna watch and you're gonna stand in faith and you're gonna be brave and courageous, make sure you keep your love on. Because if you don't keep your love on, You can do all this stuff. You can even be martyred and burned body. You can have the most eloquent of all tongues. You can sing like angels. You can give all your money. And when at the end of this thing, if you did it for the wrong reasons without love, it it gives you no credit. That is like, wow, we gotta really, that's why we gotta really figure this out here. And because once we understand it's based upon love that you get credit for the love relationships that you do. And so, this is where we've got to get our hearts in this alignment with him. There's an interesting statement I put at the air. This, I put some definitions there under number five. Guard is to watch over. That's probably not, a, not too uh, amazing. But watching over what's going what, what have you been given responsibility to guard? What's yours? Besides guard your heart, you have family, you have maybe responsibilities, family members, you're to guard certain things that is part of your responsibility to guard. Look at bravery, this is interesting. Bravery, that definition, courageous behavior or character, but it's an action, and actually, what has to precede the action is the courage. So, courage precedes, courage is really your belief system, and it's that example with the little girl in Korea, the mom, it's where there isn't any question that I'm gonna do this. I'm, I'm not gonna deny Christ. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what it costs me if I have to dive over a fence and get, 
get in conflict with a dog, you're not going to get my child. It's not even a question. That is the place where it's already been decided. When you study Medal of Honor guys and gals that have been given this, and I did some study this week of what that means. It's first of all, valor is great courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. And I know some of you have had valor moments that have had to overcome fear of flying. Praise the Lord. Um, there are those that say, well, fear of mission field, fear of what? What's in the fear base here? And, and not, again, not being to be critical because we all got something that we got to overcome. The question is, where is your belief system? Do you believe God is greater? I thought I could do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Is that a verb, verbiage, or is it believed? And, and man, I, I got enough of my own stuff to recognize the fears that are there that we have to overcome and challenge. So, if you look at the Medal of Honor, in fact, I put the, the kind of the, the statement of what qualifies. It's the highest honor in our nation for valor in action against an enemy force. The deed performed must be one of personal bravery or self-sacrifice so clearly demonstrated as to distinguish the individual above comrades and must have involved the risk of life. Most of the Medal of Honor winners are given posthumously. They're dead already. They gave their lives in service. Go look at the numbers. Um, and so, and there's, there's several that have actually more than one Medal of Honor. Think about that. So there's something about the, the heart that's already decided, I'll give my life for my friends. And when you see some of these people in combat and how they risk them lives, their own lives, and many of them did die in the midst of doing it all, is that Medal of Honor that they've laid down their life for their friends. We got lots of biblical examples. I listed several there. Who were these brave ones that refused to compromise and their belief system and their identity in Christ or in God was so sound? And Noah, I liked what Lisa shared about Noah, how he was not a perfect man, but the journey that Noah was on to get to where he was, right? And so we see that in many of the examples here. Joshua, 40 years in the tent of meeting. Can you think about that? He would even stay there when Moses would go about business. It says Joshua, the son of Nun, would stay in the tent. So he's soaking there for 40 years. No wonder God picked him to lead the, them into the promised land, right? Deborah, how about Deborah? When the men refused to do their job, Deborah challenged them, and Deborah was the one he says, I, the king said, I won't go unless Deborah, you go with me. Yeah, but, and she did. And you know the story of Jonathan, David's armor bearer, and David, and how about Esther? Esther at first was not gonna do what she was called to do in her identity until Mordecai, Uncle Mordecai says, you think you can escape? God will raise up or deliver from somewhere else, but you're gonna have to do this. And that wisdom and that revelation came to her and then she said, God, give me this strategy. I love that. Feed the king and he'll listen to you. <laughs> Ladies, it's not too far from truth there, okay? <laughs> so, my wife was like, don't talk to your dad until he's had his dinner, okay? <laughs> We're just simple. Simple people. Hallelujah. Half my kingdom, queen, you cook so good. You know? Wow. Must have been some cook. Anyway, we see that, right, in Esther. How about Gideon? Let's turn there to Judges. Let's go to Gideon. Judges chapter six. And you probably know this story as well. Starts out with, I'm the least of the least. I'm the weakest of the weakest. I'm the fearfulest of the fearfulest. I'm the fearless. No, I'm afraid. Yeah. He, he's, in fact, he's doing his, um, his work down in the threshing area so that the enemy can't see what he's doing and come steal his grain. And so, you know the story, right? The angel shows up. He doesn't know he's an angel, but let's pick up in Judges chapter six. Starts out with, oh, well, let's look at verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came. He was cranking and complaining that the Amorites are stealing all this stuff. So the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath 
the great tree of Oprah, it's not Oprah, Oprah, which belonged to the Joash of the clan of, well, well anyway, Gideon, son of Joash, at the threshing of the wheat in the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, if the Lord's with us, why has all this stuff happened to us? Where are all the miracles, all our ancestors told us? Didn't they say the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have. <laughs> Which, how much was it? None? <laughs> He's like, and rescue the land of Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. But, 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 but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manassas, and I'm the least in my entire family. So he goes to the runt of the clan. Didn't he do that with David? David's out taking care of the sheep, right? Samuel goes, well, let me get all the sons. Yeah, is that it? You have any others? Goes, yeah, we got that guy out there taking care of the sheep, right? Well, go get him. God likes to take the things that look kind of weak and foolish and confound the wisdom of the wise. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. Verse 16, I will be with you. You will destroy the Midianites if you were fighting against one man. I don't think he even thought he could do that. Gideon replied, if you truly are going to help me, show me a sign and prove the real, that the Lord is really speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back with an offering. Now, he goes out and he's got to kill. How long does it take to kill a goat, you know, take all that stuff, cook it, get it? I mean, when I was in Africa, we were, there's no refrigeration. We're in Mutarara in the, in the bush bush. And I turned and said, um, what, what do you think? We don't have any vittles here. What the, where's the restaurant? There's no restaurant. There's no power. To, and all of a sudden, you hear, you hear this goat. <laughs> like, and the guy turns and he says, that's dinner. <laughs> okay. And so that's what's going on. But so he goes away. He takes care of this thing. And he comes back. And the guy's still there. I don't know how long that took, hours. But there was something about, I want to honor you, and I want, to honor the, I want the Lord to speak to me, so there's a sacrifice that I need to make. There's a revelation there about that. And so he makes the sacrifice, brings it, and then, of course, you know, the angel blows the thing up, and then he realizes, that's the Lord. I've just seen the Lord. I'm probably going to die. <laughs> you know? And anyway, he gets this revelation. So he goes from, I'm a weakling who can't do anything through... He fleeces the Lord, and the Lord is honoring the fleece, and I don't, I don't recommend that, but I've done that, and God has spoken to us, right? I came into ministry that way. And so, so I want us to see that even though Esther and Gideon and others were not there, the Lord worked with them in their circumstances to get them there. So I don't know where you all are in the process of where is your heart and are you sold out for the Lord and is your behavior linked to what you believe or is it just lip service? I've asked that of myself many, many times and I don't like the answer many times, right? What's really, that's why David said, show me my heart, reveal to me, see if there be any wicked way in me. Because sin only comes out of what you've already thought about. You've already thought about that sin before you do it. And so you want to get your mind cleansed and refreshed in the name of Jesus. So when we look at that bottom line, how, these, how critical is core belief and revealed identity, that's why there's a scary scripture. You know, we won't turn there, but in Matthew 7, in verse 21, remember where it says, Jesus, this is red letter Jesus, he says, on that day, many, look up the word, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And then they start giving him the work list. Didn't we, ca first one, cast out demons in my name, in your name. Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we prophesy? That's not the normal body of Christ, by the way. There are those that don't even believe any of that, right? But Jesus says, that day, many will say, this is what I did for you. And he said, what you did was unlawful. It, wasn't, it was lawless. I don't even know you. I never knew you. I never knew your heart. Now, we can question the motive. Maybe they did it for money. We, we don't know. But the question is, their heart 
never knew Jesus, and therefore, he never knew them. And so, again, this is one of those places we have to look in here and make sure the alignment happens in here. Because if not, and, and don't, don't get all condemned if you haven't arrived, because, man, I'm, I'm certainly not bringing any condemnation, but we got to look at the truth to look at where we are, because he's so good. He works with Esther. He brings a Mordecai. He brings an angel to speak to Gideon, right? He lets Joshua sit in a tent for 40 years to get it right, right? And then he didn't even get it right in certain places, but he, the Lord works him. He's a patient God. So the real challenge is in the mandates, in the mandates, because if we're not standing firm, Jesus warned us over and over. You go look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, look at Luke 21, look at Mark 13. The end time revelation, Jesus says over and over again, watch, pray, stand, don't be caught unaware. Don't be just like what happened in the days of Noah or in Sodom when all of a sudden this thing changed, right? I've shared with you, mom often says, you know, there's only so much sand in the hourglass and then it ends and it's over. There's a sovereign move of God that's gonna one day, the eastern sky is gonna split wide open and he's gonna tell the angel, I'm getting electrocuted right now, the angels are gonna come and they're gonna go and gather my children, gather my elect ones and bring them to me. That's what Jesus said. We don't want to be outside the camp when that happens. So this is a time to really reflect on what is true and what is not true. We don't want to be part of the many that we did all these things, but I never was known by God. And whew, that is sobering. So I want to land this and just let you know, this church at Corinth, it was really a, a misbehaving church. Paul in Acts, we won't turn there, but in Acts 18, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He spends 18 months. Church, the other thing Paul was was a church planter, right? So he spends 18 months in Corinth. Corinth is very much like um, Las Vegas of our day or New York City. You got it all going on. It's got 42nd Street. You know, I was in college in the Bronx 42nd Street was not a place you wanted to hang out, okay? Not, they've cleaned it up a little bit, but it's still, it, it was a bad place. And all of that's going on in the city of Corinth. And so, while he's planted that church there, he meets Priscilla and Aquila, and he leaves, he's got the church. Then he comes, his next journey, he spends three years in Ephesus. While he's in Ephesus, this is how bad this church is. While he's in Ephesus, there's a delegation of elders that come from Corinth to Ephesus to get a hold of Papa Paul, says, we got some real trouble back there at the church, and here's a letter of all the stuff that's going on right now. That's how serious that is. And so that delegation, you see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, again, later in, in Acts. And so while he's on that, he writes all this, and listen to what this church was up against. Just, you could just flip through all 16 chapters this week and just get an idea. They had divisions in the church. You got these guys cranking with each other. They're, sp they're separated. Well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Saul. And I follow Apollos. And I follow Jesus. And you heard that in the, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't have to follow any church. Never heard all that, right? So there was all this division. Paul addresses that. He says, man, there's unity in the body. We're supposed to be one body. Use the example. Okay, if you're a toe, be a toe. If you're healed, be a heal, whatever. You know what I mean. Be what you are, but be something in the body. The, the arm doesn't do well outside the body. That's right. right? Okay, he also deals with, and that's, that's a primary principle, the church is one body. And he was dealing with the, split, the moral problems. You had a, a son living with his stepmother. So he deals with all the immorality of perversion and homosexuality and adultery and lies and it's like he lists them in 1 Corinthians 6 and it's like and there isn't one sin greater than another they're all sins and he goes and he says you, you better walk uprightly before God you better, your lifestyle needs to be united with Christ and it, your behavior needs to align with that he deals with marriage and celibacy he says there's a gift of singleness and there's a gift of marriage. Talks about the beauty of marriage in 1 Corinthians 7. 
He deals with that because they were all this crazy. What if I got a husband that's not born again and I'm born again and should I stay, should I leave? He deals with all that. He says, yeah, we got people breaking up their marriages. That one's not a believer, not spiritual enough for me. And he deals with all that. Read it. It's, it's amazing. The principle that God gives a gift of husband's and wife, but he also gives the gift of singleness. He deals with that. Problem with your freedom. There were people that were going to eat food given to idols, and there were others that says, no, we don't worry about that anymore. And Paul says, I won't eat meat the rest of my life if it'll cause you to stumble. We've talked about that with alcohol. You know, we have halfway houses. We, 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 we minister to people that are dealing with addiction. And then we go, if you go to that house, and you, you don't know who's in your house, and you invite people over, to, and then you bring out the booze? Oh, no. Absolutely not. Not in this house. And so... He says, I won't be a stumbling block. Don't be a stumbling block to someone. Paul says, I'll never eat meat again if that'll cause you to stumble. Wow. So he deals with all of this, Christian freedom versus, you know, was that religious pastor? Is that, no, it's, don't be a stumbling block. Do everything for the glory of God. Public worship, he deals with how you worship. He deals with the, how do you do the Lord's Supper? They had people coming and drinking the wine and getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Now, that's a bad church, right? There's a reason they call it spirits. Uh, okay, he deals with the resurrection from the dead. Those who are saying there is no resurrection. And then he deals with the dead being raised and the body of Christ being raised in the last day. I love, I love it. Often at, at funerals, I look at 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about if Christ was not resurrected, then all this is just, we ought to just give it up. There's no... But if Christ is resurrected, and by the way, I saw him. He says, I met him on the road. And there are the others, 500 eyewitnesses at one time that saw the resurrected Christ. So you ought to be encouraged that there is a resurrection from the dead. Anyway, this church, he deals with this, the divisions and all the brokenness. And so I love this. When Paul teaches that church this is how you should walk in this. And then he gives us instruction. So I'd encourage you, get in the word every day. You can set a, set a little bit of time every day. I would encourage you to start your day with it. I've had so many, it's like, wow, you get your word for the day. It's your vitamin for the day of life that will help this organism to live. And so... When I hear people that come and they're, they're struggling, the first thing I say, well, are you praying with someone? Are you in church? Are you doing your Bible study? A lot of that is no, 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 no. Marriages, we're not praying together. Well, why don't we start with just that? It's really hard to pray for your spouse and be manipulative and controlling. Right? So I'm just encouraging us. When Paul says these are the mandates, so let's stand and we'll be dismissed. We're a little early and that's okay. Praise the Lord. The Apostle Paul, right? Guard and watch. Stand fast in your faith. Be brave. Be strong. But I'm going to ask right now that we just, I want to invite the ministry team. If you'll come, you know who you are. So tonight, uh, tomorrow night, don't forget kingdom men, kingdom women. This last study on Wednesday night is going to be awesome that Leif's been doing. If you want to continue to get the rest of the studies you might have missed, we'll be showing it for 11 weeks on Sunday morning at 8.15. And then if we got some time, but if you would ask the Lord what you might fast the day before Good Friday. We're going to have a Good Friday service in the tent. We're going to take communion. We're going to have a time of just asking the Lord in that solemn remembrance of that dark Thursday, Friday. But then, Resurrection Sunday. Woo the grave's open, and he's alive. Wow, it's gonna be fun in the tent. Praise the Lord, I just feel it. So pray for good weather. So Lord, I just come before you this morning as a body of believers. Lord, we thank you that you're so patient with us. You're so good to us, and the spirit of truth just teaches us, he woos us, he leads us. Then he tells us, Let, command your soul to worship me, because in the midst of that, that's the weapon of your warfare. You train us in ways that um, when we're off track and we don't really understand what to do, like Esther or Gideon, 
you bring all to bear. You send angels, you send wise counsel. God, your word is alive, it's true, it's powerful. It's able to equip us, right? 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God is able to equip. It is what is given to the believers to show you what is true and what is right. So God, I just pray that you give us such a hunger for that truth. Speak to us. I pray for more and more dreams and visions. I had a call this week from a young man in our church that was so getting really, really incredible, vivid dreams. I've asked him actually to prepare it and maybe, I'll, maybe have him come to men's group and just... The Lord is doing some amazing things for those who are awake and asking him to speak, search, seek. So Lord, I pray peace over, I know there's many that are trying to find peace. He is a prince and his name is Jesus. Sometimes you gotta really work hard. What does he say in Hebrews 4? Work hard to enter the rest. That's almost like an oxymoron. I gotta work hard to get restful? But what he's saying is it's sometimes with all the stresses and all the responsibilities and all the activities and all the stuff, I gotta really make room for my prince. Come. But I guarantee if you'll just get yourself quiet and just invite him to come, he will. And then you'll know that you know that you know like, oh, God, I just ask for you, Holy Spirit, touch your people. You know where they're at. You're not mad at anyone here. You're just wooing. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, Romans 8.1. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, dwells in you, and quickens your mortal body. So if there's any physical pain, any sickness, any torment, go ahead and quote Romans 8.11. The same spirit that raised the body of Christ broken and in the grave, raised Christ from the dead, dwells, lives in you, and quickens, makes alive your mortal body. Go ahead, just speak that over yourself. Whatever you got a pain in, whatever, it's like, listen up, devil, let me tell you what the word says. Tell your soul, tell your physical body, that pain, you gotta come into into alignment with Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals me. Joint, pay attention. Quicken this joint in the name of Jesus. Yes. Organs come alive. Pancreases come alive. Yes. Oh, I've opened my eyes. Deafness, you gotta behave in Jesus' name. Yes. Come on, speak it. Yes. Don't get afraid. If it doesn't happen, just keep on keeping on. If it never happened, and I believe you, I've seen it. But how about getting to heaven and says, I was faithful. Yes. I prayed until the day I came. Yes, you did. And I know you. Come on. So, Lord, I just pray, Holy Ghost, that you just continue to move mightily among us here. I ask for divine appointments this week on the food lion line, at the gas pump. I love that. Instead of looking at the gas price saying, oh, Lord, say, ah, Lord, praise the Lord. I got gas in my tank. Lord, I just praise you, Lord. Give you praise. In Jesus' name, God bless you all. Thanks for being here.